Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Creator Stories podcast for Interact. My name is Jasmine Solana. If you didn't catch on the last episode, I recently got to take over hosting for the podcast, so I'm super excited to be here. You might have seen me around on um, different stuff that we do for social media, for marketing, and all of that. Um, But enough about me. This isn't about me today. Uh, I just wanted to quickly introduce our guest for this week, which is Kashira Moffitt. She is actually the CEO and owner of The Power Collective. Um, She's an author, business owner, and she's actually decorated with multiple recognitions and awards, which I think is super awesome. Um, Kashira, thank you for having, or thank you for coming on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm a big fan of the software. I've been using it for a number of years now, so this is really exciting. I'm glad, I'm glad. Um, So tell us a little bit about The Power Collective, what you do, and um, kind of everything about you. Yeah, absolutely. So The Power Collective is an online coaching business um, where we specialize in helping coaches learn how to create their first high ticket offer. And that's through our flagship program, The Founder Circle. And there we teach organic marketing strategies. So we teach, you know, packaging, messaging, sales, live streaming, things like that. And then we also help experienced coaches who hit that revenue wall and they can't seem to like move beyond a certain number, learn how to scale their business through diverse and passive offering. So um, that's what our business does. And I've been in business since 2013. Um, I've done a number of different types of businesses since then. There's been a lot of pivots and we can talk about that. But through my experiences, I've become an author and I've published books about branding and starting a business and just sharing my experiences. Um, We have a podcast as well called Brands Your Power Show. Um, Mm -hmm. Facebook group, I actually used to host a conference every year. It was called Mm -hmm. Hustle Her Way. Did it for a four year straight. And then it turned into a retreat, which unfortunately was rescheduled this year due to current events. So this is my first time in a long time not having a major event. Um, So that's interesting. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've been here since 2013 as well. I moved here straight out of college for a job and just happened to stay. And I'm originally from Chicago. So that's where I was born and raised. People are always really interested to find that out. Um, In my spare time, I like to binge watch YouTube blogging and Netflix and uh, planner videos. It's like my new thing. I love like planning and decorating and all of that stuff. So yeah, that's like the high level <laughs> about me and my personal, you know? I love that. I've actually, um, I've been to Philadelphia before. Mm-hmm. My boyfriend's actually from New Jersey. So it's kind of awesome. I love the East Coast. Um, but that all sounds awesome. I really love how It just, it's crazy. It's like you hear all this stuff where people are like, oh, I do this, this, and this. And it's like, so how, how did you get there? What were you doing before this? Yeah, that girl, it's a journey. So (laughs) I studied business in college and I have an MBA. So I was on the banking path and realized a little too late into my degree program that I didn't actually want to be a banker. I was a people person and I wanted to be in HR and I just so happened to get an HR job in banking. And the bank I worked for was headquartered in Pittsburgh, which is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, I moved on to higher education. So I was in the career services department for 
an MBA program. Um, so while I was working full time, I was also freelancing outside of that just for fun in the beginning with helping my friends with their resumes, cover mm -hmm. letters, interview prep. And then ultimately a friend was like, you need to start charging for this. People are getting crazy jobs, six figure jobs because of your help. And this is going to turn into a lot of work for you. So I decided to start charging, but it was a nominal fee. The big thing was I decided to create a blog. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day when there wasn't a Squarespace yet, I was using Wix and I created a blog all about personal branding and career development because my big thing, even when I was working in my jobs was I would teach personal branding. I would, I was asked to teach like owning your career and standing yeah. out and all of those things. That was what I was known for in my jobs. So I created this blog and the goal was use the blog to get a new job. It was not about promoting a business. I had a little raggedy services page. It was not anything close to what you see today. And it just said resume with the different packages and PayPal buttons on it. But the rest of the site was like a blog. I had my resume on the site and that's what I was doing. And I started to brand myself on Twitter around personal branding and started to get like, you know, guest blogging opportunities and things like that. So mm -hmm. I decided to ask a lot of people that I worked with to leave me reviews on LinkedIn for my work. And an entrepreneur reached out and said, hey, I have an event planning business. I've been doing it for a number of years. I really want to get into social media to start getting more clients. Can you help me with LinkedIn and I just happened to say okay sure <laughs> I'll try it out and she saw great results and started to ask me to do other projects in her business around writing which has always been a strong suit of mine and social media and then she referred me to all her friends so at this point, the online brand is growing. I created a Facebook group for my readers. My brand was called Her Movement at the time. It was very pink. And um, I was also starting my conference at the time, which was all about bringing career women and entrepreneurial women together. Um, because at this point in life in 2015, it was still like this like divide where you felt like an imposter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you were yeah. doing both worlds, it wasn't as receptive as it is today. And um, I realized at that point that I really loved working with entrepreneurs a lot more than the career work and that's what really set me on fire and it was scary to make that decision because career stuff was still bringing in the bulk of my side hustle revenue mm -hmm. and of course in my nine to five I was starting to hate it and not find joy in it anymore and I had no desire to look for another job so I decided to go all in in my business and so I released the career stuff started working only with entrepreneurs of course kept going deeper into my craft with revisiting my textbooks from school and doing more freelance work and just continuing to study so rebranded, rebranded per usual. And over the years, what I found for me is I went from just kind of working with anybody who needed help with branding and social media to then working with service providers to now only working with coaches. And mm -hmm. so the core lesson from that is the first iteration of your business will not be the last, but mm -hmm. you can't really figure out your sweet spot until you start to try, yeah. right? Like there is nothing like experience that will teach you where you really are like at your absolute best. So yeah. that's how we landed here today. I think one thing that helped me was saying yes to a lot of the things that scared me mm -hmm. along the way, yes to certain opportunities, whether it was speaking engagements or contracts or certain clients, like just taking advantage of what came my way to get that experience. Was there anything like special or, you know, helpful, I guess you could say that helped you to say yes to all those scary things like was there anything that you did specifically if you were like mm, 
maybe not? Should I do it? I should say yes. Or how did that process go? So my big, my, my favorite quote to this day is feel the fear, do it anyway. So that was like my mantra. And I pick, I picked it up. I don't remember where, but I, I held on to it just because I felt like when I was in college, I was very like kind of fearful, which is why you know, in my sophomore year when I really wasn't feeling finance and accounting, like I didn't just pivot then. I stuck with it because I felt like I would be a quitter if I decided to go this other path and look at these other opportunities. And I felt like, you know, I know what it feels like to have a little bit of regret. (laughs) I know what it feels like to kind of do things because you think you should versus really taking the risk. So I think for me, I already had that, that I knew what that felt like. Mm -hmm. So I just always would ask when an opportunity presented itself, what's the worst that could happen? Mm, I love that. And that typically is what led me to say yes to a lot of things. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, take on so much as your over capacity, but a lot of times we're not saying no because of time, (laughs) you know, and I I would even look at it as, you know, if this was a friend saying, can you come to this party versus can you come speak at this event? Like what would be my, and I was 23 at the time. Yeah example right but you know that was like kind of how I looked at things like you know the ROI of what I was saying yes to yeah I love that I think that's awesome so what while you're saying yes and you know you're in the middle of doing this new thing what were some maybe obstacles that came about in any of them where maybe for a second you were like oh like is this the right way to go and how did you know to pivot or know what to do next Mm -hmm. yeah I mean a huge obstacle I dealt with was like the money factor of being comfortable actually charging for what I wanted to do. That that was a, a, a obstacle that lasted for a number of years where it, it was so much for me to go from just doing it for free to charging these nominal fees and then going from nominal fees to like slightly above nominal fees. Like I just felt really weird about that, you know, like, and I think most new entrepreneurs, like we kind of struggle with like, you know, having money conversations and putting a price tag on what you do. And I felt, but I know that that hindered me for so long because when you have a goal of replacing your income and you're like charging, you know, a dollar, <laughs> I'm just making yeah. this up, you charge like a dollar for every service you offer. It's like, there's no end in sight. Like you can't even imagine your business bringing in the same thing you make at your job, you know? So, you know, for me, the big pivot point came when I was working with one of my very first coaches. And even then I had to like, you know, I made a very scary investment and it took a long time for me to do it. But Mm -hmm. I knew that something needed to change. I just didn't know what. And literally this coach, you know, took time out. It was a group program. She's like, you know, listen, you don't really need the content of what I'm teaching. You just need somebody to tell you to get out of your own way. Like you need, like, she's like, the reason why you aren't where you are, where you want to be is because you refuse to charge for the value of your offering. And even though that sounds simple, when you listen to the story, for someone that was dealing with a lot of limiting beliefs, that was really powerful. It's like somebody you admire literally saying like, you're already equipped. Like you don't need more learning. You just need to like step it up in terms of how you're choosing to position a value of what you do. And after I made that change, trusting that process, like things skyrocketed for me really, really fast. Yeah, I will say like being, working with partners, excuse me, working with partners um, at Interact, especially like a lot of the times they'll talk about their own good services and they'll be like, what, what do I charge? Like, how much should I charge for this? And I'm like, for me, it's like, charge what you're worth, you know, like charge how much time you put in it, what your skill set is and all of that. So I definitely agree that I think that's super important. And I love that 
you kind of pointed that out as an obstacle that you went through, because I think it's something that a lot of people resonate with and they, everyone goes through it, especially if they're starting a business and they're like, you know, I don't know what this should look like. So do you have any advice, I guess, on that point for someone where they're like, okay, like we're talking about maybe charging more and nominal fees, but how do you know at what your skill set is or what level you're at to charge? Yeah, so one easy thing is just getting online and doing some research. Just as if you were looking for a new job, you would if you were moving to a new city and looking for a new job, you'd probably look like average salary of marketing in New York or average and then average salary of marketing manager in New York. You start to pull some averages. You look to see what's the low end, what's the high end, what's the middle end. You don't have to charge the average, but at least having a range now gives you an idea. In the online space, the beautiful thing is people are a lot of people are very transparent parent about their fees like a lot of people don't hide (laughs) what they're charging so you can even do some due diligence and I would say not only like looking like on Instagram but look from a when you're researching through Google research of local state and national and then even international and then from there start to make some decisions another thing I like to factor in is like what's your personal hourly rate so when you look at most corporations you get a salary but it's still based on an hourly rate so then what's your what's your hourly rate like what do you want to charge you know as a consultant or as a coach for your time right Um, a really good book that helps with this is profit first Um, I think that that book is really excellent on how to figure out how to ensure that your business is like actually generating (laughs) profit Um, so that's another one that I take into consideration and then depending on if you people listening in if they're working with coaches a lot of coaches will give you pricing formulas and calculators you can like google things like this on if you want like a free version, I know that if you type in a salary calculator or something like that, if you put in even just how much money you want your business to make in a year, if you want to make $50,000, you can type that in and it'll tell you what the hourly rate now needs to be. And then you can look at how long it takes for you to deliver each of your programs mm-hmm. to figure out how much the program should be, how many clients do you need to hit this goal. And that's a really just easy place to start. Um, As you add more offers, obviously it gets more complex, but I feel like those tips is enough for you to just get started. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that you mentioned earlier that I caught, but then forgot I wanted to ask about it. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about having imposter syndrome and that's even something that I know I for sure experienced myself and I'm sure a lot of people out there experience. What did, I guess like, how did you overcome that and how did you take that and be able to, you know, go through and say all those yeses and get to where you are today? Yeah, I actually just did a live stream on imposter syndrome two days ago um, because it's so prevalent and it's normal. But the big thing for me with imposter syndrome was really one, recognizing it and recognizing when was it happening, like that that exact moment. So one of the tips I gave in my video was, you know, kind of starting to document that. And it doesn't mean sit down and journal for two hours. It just, like, if you notice it, recognize it and just put it in your phone or this paper out like so you can document when it's happening because imposter syndrome typically is triggered by something um and then from there asking yourself like what evidence do you have that this is actually true yeah and from there actually having to build a business case to yourself that this thought you have of not being good enough or smart enough or whatever it is is actually evident right and i actually told my viewers like per harvard business review the definition of imposter syndrome is really you feeling inadequate despite evident success, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I tell people, you have to nip this in the bud because there is no amount of growth, revenue, sales, promotions that's going to make it just go away. As you continue to climb, it's just going to get worse. So you have to start building up your own um, way of dealing with it and nipping it now. And that's by recognizing, again, what's causing it, documenting that um, so that you can see, like, is there something you need to cut out? Is there just a mindset shift you need to make? Um, Asking yourself, like, is this true? Is this real? Um, Beginning to reframe in your mind where, so if it's an envy thing, like if you get online and you see everybody else talking about how much money they make, it's reframing from I'll never make that to it's so awesome to see this. This is proof that I can do it too right? Like reframing and then even then reprogramming in your mind what failure is to you um, and reprogramming where failure is now just new information, right? There is no failure. There is only information and just work moving forward with that and knowing that this is not a one-day process. This is not something you can just hear it today and tomorrow you're fine. You have to build this habit up, build this muscle so that subconsciously um, there's going to be a shift where this is no longer an issue for you. I love that. I think that it's something that like we're trying to do this year is really talk more about this type of stuff, right? Like where's that struggle and how do you overcome that struggle? So I really love how you have like an actual kind of coping mechanism to get through that. And I think for me, at least I've realized that it's also not something that you know, you overcome for one part of your job. And then when a new thing comes along, you're automatically totally fine. You do have to go through the same process again and, you know, really work your way up to where you're like, okay, like this is just my imposter syndrome. It's not a big deal. It's fine. Uh, No. Yeah. I love that. Um, So I know we talked a little bit about you being an author. So how did you go from, you know, starting your business online, working with clients, and then getting to a point where you did start writing books and then even speaking at conferences. And you said you hold conferences as well, right? Mm -hmm. So with the book writing, it was interesting because I've I've been a writer my entire life. Like when I was a kid, I used to do like those young author competitions. But for some reason as an adult, I really struggled with like writer's block and like getting things out of paper. It was a goal of mine to write a book for so long. So I finally just like, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to do it in 30 days. (laughs) Like we're just going to write the book. And so the very, the easiest thing is just to start with the outline versus a blank page. So really just outlining what the book will be about, outlining your chapters, and then just committing to a chapter per day really helps me. So that was that. And then the other thing that also helps is if you're a content creator and you already have a lot of videos and podcasts, some of that can become part of your book. So some of those things you can get transcribed and you can get an editor or you can edit it yourself. And those things can actually speed up the process. So one of my books, All in Favor of Branding, was based on a webinar. And the webinar audio was like the first five chapters of that book. Wow. that actually is like one of those like work smarter, not harder type of situ- situations. Yeah. I did self-publish through Kindle Direct Publishing, which used to be called Create Space for those that are familiar with it, which made the process really simple because there was no order minimum. So if you work with a local publisher, sometimes they'll say you have to buy a thousand copies of this book. And so if you have no budget, that's not feasible for you, right? Mm-hmm. So with Amazon Create Space, there's actually no fee to publish your book. The only yeah. fees come into play is if you want a copy of the proof and even then they're only charging you how much it costs to print the book and yeah. the ship costs but it's if you're doing an ebook or kindle book it's free no so and then you and then amazon will tell you 
based on how much you want to charge for your book, how much you make and how much they'll make. So you can even adjust the, those profit margins. So that was really impactful for me. And like I said, I, I based my book on a lot of my blog posts, my webinars, things I already had. And it was nice because when I would go to conferences, I could actually have a table and I could actually sell things. Like I, I did try at one point in life, like the whole t-shirts and things like that's just not my brand. It's not my ministry. So I just let that go. So now when I hold tables at events, I have books so people enjoy my talk. They can buy my book. They can learn more about me. My books serve as a marketing tool. I have a really active YouTube channel. And I have a video about uh, how books are like a secret weapon in marketing that people don't really talk about. Um, and then in terms of events, I've just been really fortunate where I've been consistently asked to speak at events. And it was one of those things where I just said yes. In the beginning, wow. I was not a fan of it. But I was talking to a friend really passionately about LinkedIn and someone who was on a board of a nonprofit happened to be nearby. And they're like, hey, could you come speak at our professional development conference? And then somebody in that audience said, could you come and speak at this other event? So I started to post pictures of that and short videos of that on social media. And then that led to out of town engagement. Some paid, some not paid. But the more I did it, I found that one engagement typically leads to another. Of course, there's people who teach you how to pitch if you want to be active about it. I've been very fortunate where I haven't really pitched for anything. People just have come to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then even with my own event, like that was something I just scrapped. Like I was very scrappy with that because I didn't have a huge budget at the time. So I'm, I'm, I leveraged relationships. So a lot of the speakers were friends of mine who from the online space mm -hmm. who spoke for free for me. I gave them tables to sell their stuff. The space was donated by a nonprofit that I already worked with. Uh, another nonprofit I worked with gave a little bit of funding. <laughs> so it was one of those things where, you know, it just happened to once I put it out there, that this is what I wanted and this is what I wanted to create. And there was good intentions behind it. Things just started to work out um, where things just really fell into place for me with those events and events. I just feel like I've missed them. They're just such a huge part of what I love about business, which is connecting yeah. with women who have these passions and these interests. And, and I think people just underestimate the power of bringing like-minded people together. So many entrepreneurs feel alone. You know, I used to do a dinner tour called Hashtags and Bombshells. And I would basically look at where I was speaking across the country and I would just have a little dinner party. It was like 20 bucks. Yeah. And I would give you a copy of one of my books and I'd buy appetizers for the group and like we'd have dinner. And I remember doing this in LA. I had 20 women come. And in a city like LA, these women were all like, I came because I really enjoy your content, but I also don't have any business friends. Like I feel really lonely in my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like the validation of it all. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited for just things to just hopefully go back to normal so that we can resume that in-person connection. Yeah. yeah, I love that. That's so inspiring. I think there's something really powerful about just like creating a community and having a community. And I think um, for women especially, it's a huge thing because we're, for the most part, we're still kind of in that spot where we're a little more undervalued, right? And people might not look at us as much more because we're a woman. And there's something about coming together that really empowers what we can do and who we can be. So I love that you do that. I think that's awesome. Um, your story is so inspiring. So do you have any maybe last minute like – advice or something that you found really helpful while you were going through all these different processes? 
Yeah, I mean, a couple things. One, you know, stay the course mm -hmm. and recognize that, you know, no matter how smart and talented you are, there is always going to be obstacles. And so running into challenges does not mean give up. It doesn't mean quit. It doesn't mean something's going wrong. It's honestly just a part of the reality we live in. There is always going to be personal highs and lows, personal ups and downs. Just stay committed and stay the course. Um, consistency matters. Um, I know people feel like markets are saturated. Every market is saturated, but the consistency and the quality of you showing up in your content is going to be the thing that like really, really keeps you, you know, top of mind. And lastly, I would just say innovating. I know we haven't gotten a chance to talk about this, but that's one of the things I like about your software is that quizzes are still like a new thing, to be honest with you, when it comes to opt-ins. Like, I feel like people, you know, in, in, terms, in terms of like the online quizzes, I think people have always looked at them as like just something fun that you find on magazine websites, but really thinking about incorporating it into business, it really gives you a chance to innovate and do something different than what everyone else is doing. So definitely looking for opportunities to just like step outside of the box and recognize that if you have an idea of something you haven't seen before, that means you should do it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for telling us your story and of course being with us here today. Um, before we do wrap up, I did want to ask, um, where can people find you? Yeah. Online, so I'm, I'm at Kashira literally everywhere. And my website is thepowercollective.co, which is .co. And my podcast is called The Brand Your Power Show. And it is on every podcasting platform. <laughs> awesome. No, that's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, everybody, we will post this on our website and you will have those links as well. And thanks guys.